Before we jump into the scripture reading today, I want to take a moment to talk about, uh, about grace. And now we continue with a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. As we begin this reading, uh, let me set this up for you uh, just a little bit. So in the time of the prophet Jeremiah, there were also many false prophets in the land. Uh, and they, they were giving messages to the people that did not come from God. And so in this passage, we have a word from God about those other prophets and the messages that they have been bringing to the people. Listen now for the voice of the Lord as we hear from Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning with verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to all who stubbornly follow their own stubborn hearts, they say, no calamity shall come upon you. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back, those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, we started a journey together. Last Sunday, we started a new series, a series that we are calling So Great a Cloud. In this series, in this sermon mega series, we are going to hear 10 stories of 10 people who lived and died for Jesus in the 20th century. As we make our way through the series, we're going to learn that saints and martyrs didn't just live hundreds of years ago. We're going to learn, we're going to see that there are saints and martyrs alive, living and dying for the faith of Jesus in this world still to this day. We're going to learn what they have to teach us about living and dying in the way of Jesus. And this morning, our journey is going to take us to East Africa, to the part of the world that today today is called the nation of Uganda. Now, the Christian faith first came to that part of Africa in the late 1800s. At that time, the nation of Uganda had not been founded yet. At that time, instead of the nation of Uganda, what you would have found if you went to that part of the world was the kingdom of Buganda. And when missionaries first started arriving in the kingdom of Buganda, when they started bringing the Christian faith to that part of the world for the very first time, they were welcomed with open arms. The king of Buganda was happy to have those missionaries in his kingdom because he had been having trouble with the local religious leaders. The leaders of the local religions were were powerful and influential and they were stubborn and he was having a hard time keeping them in line. And so when Christian missionaries came to him and said, can we come into your kingdom? He said, why not? Maybe that's exactly what the kingdom needs is some new religions. Maybe, maybe a little bit of competition will give those religious leaders something else to focus on and keep them out of my hair for a while. And so he welcomed missionaries into the kingdom of Uganda. And missionaries came pouring, pouring into Uganda, Protestant missionaries Catholic missionaries, Muslim missionaries all came to the kingdom of Uganda. And it wasn't long before the king came to regret his decision to open the doors wide to every missionary who wanted to come. Because he very soon learned that with all of those foreign missionaries came foreign influence and colonial powers. 
And before long, he started to feel like his kingdom was slipping out of his control, that his, his rule was slipping through his fingers. And so he decided that he needed to do something to bring all of those missionaries back in line. He decided that he would execute a few missionaries just to set an example and remind everybody who was boss. And so that's what he did. He tried to, he tried to bring those missionaries back in line by executing a handful of missionaries. Of course, his plan didn't work. It backfired in a spectacular and a terrible way. After the king executed those missionaries, the other missionaries started arming themselves. And the next thing you knew, there were Protestant militias, and there were Catholic militias, and there were Muslim militias. And those militias banded together, and they overthrew the government. They overthrew the king of Buganda, and then they turned against each other. They started fighting against one another. And Buganda went through many years. They went through decades of bloody and violent conflict. And when the conflict finally ended, when the violence finally died down with the founding of the new nation of Uganda, the people of Uganda were deeply wounded and the church was just barely limping along. At that time, there were plenty of people in the pews. There were plenty of people in worship in the nation of Uganda, but their worship, their religious faith, wasn't so much about having a deep and vital relationship with God as it was about what tribe they belonged to or what political party they supported. And that, that mix of partisanship and spirituality has always been toxic to the Christian faith. And so the kingdom, the, the, the nation of Uganda, which had just been founded, went through years and years of a sort of spiritual malaise. And finally, after years and years of, of limp worship and a faithless church, the leaders of the church got together in the 1920s. They had a meeting, and they started wrestling with big questions. They started wrestling with the question, of what is wrong with the church in Uganda? Why does the church feel so dead? What is it that we are missing? And as these leaders of the church were meeting together, as they were talking about the state of the church, something remarkable and unexpected began to happen. They suddenly sensed a stirring of the Holy Spirit there among them. They felt a movement of the Holy Holy Spirit in that place. The Holy Spirit gave them new energy. The Holy Spirit gave them a fresh sense of urgency. And the people, the religious leaders who were at that meeting, they left that place determined to preach and pastor like they had never preached and pastored before. They went away from that place and they started calling the people to confess their sins and to receive God's forgiveness. They started calling upon the people of Uganda to walk in a new way, to walk in the way of Jesus. And as they did that, that movement of the Holy Spirit, it swept through the nation and it spilled out into other countries all around Uganda until a movement of the Holy Spirit was evident to anyone who had eyes to see. This movement of the Holy Spirit came to be called the East African Revival and it went on for years and years as the church grew bigger and wider and deeper year after year after year. One person whose life was touched by the East African Revival was a school teacher by the name of Janani Luwum. Janani Luwum went to a prayer meeting one day, and at that meeting, he heard the gospel preached in a way that he had never heard the gospel before. And as he was listening to the preaching, as he was listening to the sound of people praying all around him, something opened up in his heart, and his life was transformed to the point where he left teaching behind, and he became a pastor. And it wasn't long before people recognized that Janani Luwum had special gifts for ministry. They recognized his passion and his creativity. And so as the years went by, he was given more and more responsibility until eventually he became the bishop of northern Uganda. 
And on the day that Janani Luwum became a bishop, dignitaries and government officials were invited to come to his installation service. In the congregation that day, as Janani Luwum was installed as the bishop of northern Uganda, there was a man, the head of the Ugandan armed forces, a man by the name of Idi Amin. Uh, two years later, Idi Amin overthrew the Ugandan government in a violent military coup. And Idi Amin very quickly established himself as one of the world's most brutal dictators. Now, during his rule, he turned the tribes of Uganda against each other. He encouraged the persecution of certain tribes and purged them from the government and from the military and from civic life. 80,000 people of Asian descent were forcibly ejected from Uganda during his rule by his regime. His, his rule, his reign, was marked by executions and disappearances and massacres. And somehow, during this violent and turbulent time, Janani Luwum was elevated one last time even as all of this violence and turmoil was happening around him, Janani Luwum became the archbishop over all of Uganda and over three other African nations. He was now at this point in his life one of the most recognized and respected voices, not just in East Africa, but in all of Africa. And Idi Amin decided that he wanted the archbishop on his side. He believed that if he had the support of this influential archbishop, then he could continue to rule over Uganda for many decades to come. And so Idi Amin started courting Janani Lewum. Janani got invited to government functions. He got invited to balls to visit with dignitaries. He got offered the seat of honor at great state banquets. Idi Amin was convinced that all he had to do to solidify his reign was to win over, win over Janani Luwum. But the archbishop had other plans. He wasn't about to let his faith, he wasn't about to let his voice be co-opted by a brutal dictator. And so instead of becoming an ally of the dictator, he became a thorn in the side of Idi Amin. He became one of the most outspoken critics of Idi Amin's government. He united Catholics and Protestants and Muslims in speaking up against the atrocities and the oppression of the dictatorship. He, he became a thorn in the side of one of the world's most brutal dictators, a prophet in the spirit of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, just a moment ago, we heard a reading from the book of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the most compelling and fascinating figures in all of the Bible. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet at a time of, of trouble and turmoil and violence in the life of God's people. Jeremiah received a message from God at a time when God's people had wandered away from the God who loved them. Violence and idolatry were sweeping through the land. The religious leaders were corrupt and greedy, and the kings and princes who were supposed to lead God's people back towards God instead were leading the people away from God. And during this troubled time, God spoke to a young man named Jeremiah, and God said, Jeremiah, I have a mission. I have a job for you, and it's not going to be an easy one. Your task is going to be to speak the truth to a people who do not want to hear the truth. Your job is going to be to speak my word to people who do not want to listen. And Jeremiah said, are you sure? And God said, yes, I'm sure. And Jeremiah said, do I have to? And God said, yes, you have to. That was a paraphrase, but it's a pretty good paraphrase. The actual conversation was longer than that. And so Jeremiah started his ministry. 
He started traveling throughout the land. He spoke to the people. He spoke to the religious leaders. He spoke to the king and to the princes. And he told them, we have departed from the ways of God and we have broken the heart of God. And God is going to remove from us the hand of protection if we do not repent and return to the ways of God. Terrible disaster and calamity is about to come upon us if we do not turn and walk in a new direction. And just like God had warned Jeremiah, the people did not want to listen. And the kings and the princes ignored his warnings. And the people who responded with the most hostility to the message that Jeremiah was speaking on God's behalf were the religious leaders and the prophets of the land. Every time Jeremiah stepped forward and said, a calamity is about to come upon us unless we repent, 15 other prophets stepped forward and said, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We are God's special people. God has always loved us best. God will never let anything terrible happen to us. As a matter of fact, just the other night I had a dream. And in my dream, God spoke to me and God said, everything is going to be fine. So don't worry about Jeremiah. Don't listen to that guy. That prophet has gone off the rails. And it wasn't long before the religious leaders and the prophets in the land discovered that the fastest way to position and influence and wealth and power was to tell the king and princes exactly what they wanted to hear. Those prophets who told the people, don't worry, just keep doing exactly what you've been doing. Their, their books became bestsellers. Their podcast went to the top of the charts. They, they preached in, in churches the size of great arenas that were packed with people. They got invited to government functions. They got invited to balls to visit with dignitaries. They were given the seat of honor at state banquets. And meanwhile, Jeremiah walked a hard road. Uh, A drought took hold in the land, and still the people would not listen. A famine came over the land, and still the people would not listen. Armies marched against the city of Jerusalem, and still the king and princes ignored Jeremiah. Armies surrounded the city of Jerusalem and laid siege to the city, and still they would not hear his warning. They did not hear his voice. They told Jeremiah to be quiet, and Jeremiah would not be quiet. And so the king said, fine, we will lock you up. And they threw Jeremiah into an old, empty cistern, an old, empty water container. And so even as enemies were preparing to attack the walls of the city, Jeremiah was underground up to his ankles in mud, powerless, powerless to stop it all from happening. It takes great courage to speak truth to power. It takes deep faith. It takes deep devotion to God to speak truth to power. Jeremiah had that courage. And Janani Lewum had that deep devotion and that deep faith. In 1977, there was a small rebellion that broke out within the Ugandan army. Seven people were killed by Ugandan standards. It was a, it was a small incident. But Idi Amin, the dictator who ruled over Uganda, responded to this small act of rebellion with overwhelming force. He had thousands of people put to death. He had one entire village massacred because he suspected that the people there supported one of his political opponents. And in the wake of all of this bloodshed and violence, Janani Luwum went to see Idi Amin. And he brought with him a letter that had been signed by the bishops, a letter of protest against the government's violence and oppression. And for Idi Amin, that letter was the last straw. 
he decided that the archbishop had to go. And so Janani Luwum was arrested, and he was charged with treason. And at his trial, Janani Luwum turned to a friend and said, they are going to kill me. I am not afraid. After the trial, he was loaded into a car with two other prisoners, and that was the last time his friends would see him alive. The next day, the government announced that there had been a car crash, that all three prisoners had been killed in the accident. But when his body was returned to his family, it was discovered that Janani Luum's body was riddled with bullets and signs of torture. Idi Amin's rule didn't last much longer. In 1978, he started a war with a neighboring nation, a war that he could not win. As his forces were retreating, he fled the country. Idi Amin lived out the rest of his life in exile. Meanwhile, thousands of people gathered to celebrate the life and the witness of the Archbishop Janani Luwum. His courage his act of devotion and witness led to yet another revival in Uganda and throughout East Africa. People who had stopped practicing their Christian faith came back to worship. People who had left the church found their way into the pews again on Sunday. His witness was exactly what Uganda needed in 1977. And maybe Janani's witness is exactly what America needs today. Maybe if we had the courage of Janani Luwum. Maybe if we could show the world that we care more about truth than we care about power. Maybe if we could say to the world, we are no longer going to allow the Christian faith to be co-opted by government officials and political parties. Maybe if we had within us, among us, the spirit of the prophet Jeremiah, we also would experience a revival. Let's pray. God, we pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit, that it would stir among us, that it would stir within us, that it would stir up courage and faith and devotion, that we would not be beholden to tribe or party, but that we would be obedient to Jesus. Jesus who spoke for the vulnerable, Jesus who spoke for the poor, Jesus who spoke for the imprisoned and oppressed. God, give us the courage to speak truth to power and to hear the truth when your prophets speak it to us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.